This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
we're very fortunate as a church to have a whole bunch of babies around here. Amen. And I know that babies make noises and messes and smells, but I love going into the foyer and seeing our church babies at different stages in their lives. Some of them are young enough to where all they want is, is to be held and they will smile at anybody that says peekaboo. And it's amazing what lengths we adults will go for a smile. Have you ever thought about we change our voice, we do baby talk, we act like idiots just for a smile. And, and I know I'm the number one guilty party here because I love little kids so much. And, um, and I probably shouldn't say this, but recently somebody uh, I, I overheard. I always love overhearing somebody that's talking about me behind my back. They didn't realize they were, uh, that I was actually listening. But, but somebody said this, Joe should have run a daycare instead of pastoring a church. Uh, you know, talk about a compliment and a slam in one sentence. But anyway, I, I, I love kids. You know, other babies are at um, the crawling stage. Once in a while, you see that baby trying to save its knees, and they look like sand crabs at the beach, you know, and, and they don't touch their knees, just, just uh, you know, on all fours. And, and then, isn't it fun watching those who have left the crawling stage? They're half walking, half lurching, half wobbling as they take their first steps. And then... You want to know what I really love? I love to see kids kicking and screaming because they don't want to leave the church. Uh, And sorry, moms and dads, uh, I know that's kind of embarrassing to you, but that brings a smile to the pastor's face every time I see that. Uh, And sometimes I think I would like to go back to the carefree life of being a baby. You know, basically they have no worries. They, They don't know about the pressures of trying to prepare a sermon for Sunday morning. They don't know about insurance. They don't know about taxes. Uh, They don't know about tariffs. They don't know about Twitter. They don't know about Trump and Hillary and fake news and Russian interference and whatever. The extent of worries for a baby is pretty much a dirty diaper. Maybe a little bit of hunger, maybe not always getting to be held as much as they would like. But having said that, That stage of, could we just call it utopia in a child where they don't have any worries, doesn't last very long. Life changes so quickly. And before you know it, they're confronted with hardships and with things that can turn their world upside down in an instant. For some of you, maybe that happened as a child when your little secure world was shattered and your parents informed you that they were getting a divorce. And you didn't understand all of the implications of that, but you did understand that now you had two homes and, and you had step-parents and step-brothers and sisters and you went back and forth between mom and dad. Now, you learned to cope with it. You made the best of it, but that was the introduction of baggage into your life, even though you didn't understand it at that time. Well, you moved on into your teenage years and more bad stuff happened. The person that you thought was your friend for life turned on you and You felt so alone and betrayed, and that brought on more baggage. And then your senior year of high school, you learned late one night that a friend had just been killed in a car accident, and through the tears at the memorial service, you began to question why God would allow bad things to happen to good people. More baggage. 
Well, later on, you found the person of your dreams and and with great excitement at your wedding, you promised, both promised that you would love each other until death do you part. And you ended those vows by saying, so help me God. But it wasn't even two years after the wedding, you begin to hear rumors floating around that your spouse had been cheating on you. And many times where there's a little bit of smoke, there's a little bit of fire. And so you confronted them and they admitted it. And that was the beginning of the end of your marriage. And more baggage was heaped on you. And then not too long after that, the person that you thought was a good and godly Christian, well, one day they didn't act like a good and godly Christian and, and they said some very hurtful things to you. So you added that to your stack of baggage. But it didn't stop there. Disappointments kept coming. The, the job that you loved was pulled out from under you. And then your child started hanging with the wrong crowd and became addicted to drugs. And then you developed some serious health, serious health issues. And, and on and on, life kept slapping you in the face. And one evening, you were all alone. And it was as if a voice kept whispering in your ear, No one loves me. I can never trust anyone. I'm no good. My life is a mess. Christians are nothing but a hip, bunch of hypocrites. Christianity is bogus. Your life was full of baggage, baggage, and more baggage. And let me say something that I want all of you to catch. We all have had baggage. Now, some of you have coped pretty well over the years. You've, you've actually been able to get rid of some of the baggage at least. Uh, others of you haven't necessarily gotten rid of the baggage, but you've learned to manage it. You've learned how to suppress it. And, and it may pop up once in a while, but yet you generally can, can push the pain back into a dark closet in your heart. But others of you, your baggage is always on your mind. And you may not admit it, but over the years, you have become cynical and resentful. And you wouldn't admit it, but you even have carried some unforgiveness over things that happened many years ago. And so today we want to spend a few moments talking about this. We're going to go to God's Word and, and see what God wants us to do with this baggage. Psalm 109 will provide the jumping off point for our lesson. And, and, and this psalm comes from a person that was carrying around a lot of baggage. And so I think many of us will be able to relate to the words of David when he said this. In Psalm 109, let's pick up with verse 22. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is full of pain. Can anyone relate to that last phrase? My heart is full of pain. I'm fading. And catch the, the, these visual pictures. I'm fading like a shadow at dusk. I'm falling like a grasshopper that's brushed aside. And then jumping to verse 25, I'm an object of mockery to people everywhere. When they see me, they shake their heads. <laughs> Did you ever feel that way? You walk by a group of people and you imagine they're talking about you? In fact, we've instructed our greeters, and this is just another reminder to our greeters today. If you're a greeter, bulletin passer, we've, we've uh, instructed them to never gather in a cluster to talk and joke while people are coming in. Because when someone comes into a church, if they're carrying a bunch of baggage, 
they will immediately think that everyone is talking and laughing about them. When most of the time it's not true. But when you're hurting, you imagine they're looking at me. They're talking about me. They're gossiping about me. They're making fun of me. They're making jokes about me. So you can tell that David is feeling pretty low in this psalm. But then he prayed in verse 26, Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me because of your unfailing love. And then here's the good news. For he stands beside the knee. Thank you, Jesus. Ready to save them from those who condemn them. Now, as we jump into our lesson, for this to be of any benefit to you, the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is to prayerfully and honestly acknowledge your baggage. And if you're anything like me, this is hard to do. You, you see, I, I don't want to think about my baggage, much less talk about it. I've always been a person that is just pretty closed. I, I put up walls, and, and I'm not bragging about this. This is just the way I'm made up. And, and, and when someone says something that stings a little bit, I typically don't share it with a single soul. Uh, I'm not proud of that, but that's the way I'm wired. And so I can relate to your trying to squash your hurts and bury your baggage because it seems less painful if you can somehow push it into a closet, lock the door, throw away the key, never deal with it. But today, we need to acknowledge our baggage. And we need to be like Job in Job chapter 7 verse 11 when he said this, Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And so Job said, I will talk about it. I need to get this matter out into the open and deal with it. And so today, I'm not asking you to necessarily talk about it to others, but in your mind and in your heart, acknowledge your baggage. Admit it. Now, as you acknowledge it, for some of you, your baggage more than likely will be what I call spiritual baggage. Perhaps you were raised in a very legalistic atmosphere and you didn't learn much about grace, but you certainly learned a lot about rules. Maybe some of you had a bad experience in church. Perhaps it was with the pastor or, or maybe it was with a Sunday school teacher or just a fellow member. And, but whatever happened soured you on the church and you pretty much just think that all Christians are jerks and all Christians are hypocrites. Maybe your beef is with God. Life hasn't turned out like you thought it would. And, and you don't understand why so-and-so has cancer and why so-and-so was killed in a car accident. You don't understand why bad things happen to good people and why good things happen to bad people. And, and you're just a little bit, frankly, you're ticked at God. Maybe for you, it's relational baggage. And you put a, up a wall around your heart, you won't let people in. You won't open yourself up to being hurt again. Maybe you're a victim of abuse. You know, these statistics for abuse are staggering. I, I read this past week where every 98 seconds in America, someone will be sexually assaulted. Every 98 seconds. And it's actually hard to determine the, uh, the, the exact number because most sexual abuse is never reported. But, but one study said that 28%, so that's a little over one in four young girls, will be sexually molested. And the sad thing is it's so often done by an authority figure or a family member. In fact, 
It was interesting. This week I had a, a lady come into my office and she began to open up her heart and, and she had never shared this with anybody before. Never reported it and she would be in the upper middle age bracket. But as a young girl, she poured out her heart and said that she had been sexually abused by a relative. She had carried this alone for decades hadn't told one soul until this past week the truth is that probably way more than what we would even imagine of those sitting in this room have been abused sexually so perhaps that's your baggage Maybe your baggage is an addiction and, and you're hooked on something. It may be a secret or the whole world may know about it, but you don't ever feel that you could break free from this addiction. Today, I would like for you to identify your baggage. And throughout the next 20 minutes or so, with God's help, we're, we're going to prayerfully and intentionally let go of it and give it to God. And to do that, we're going to pray three prayers. The first prayer comes from Romans chapter 12. Here it is. God, renew my mind with truth. I think you'll recognize this verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So according to this verse, how are we to be transformed? By the renewing of our mind. And many of us need to do that because we've started to believe lies that are not true. We are hanging on to things that Satan has put in our minds that are not truth. Let me try to explain it with a very simple down-home illustration. And back several years ago, I was looking this up. I used this illustration, but I think it fits this lesson as well. I don't know how many of you do the vacuuming at your house, uh, but there's an art to vacuuming. I thought the ladies would say amen there. Um, if it's done the correct way, you will vacuum in parallel lines. And if you get here early enough at the church before the footprints have stomped out the vacuum lines, you will notice that on the burgundy carpet, um, there are vacuum lines that are parallel to each other. Thank you, Sherry and Gwen, for, and, the, and the rest of our volunteers for, for doing that the right and the godly way, uh, you know, as opposed to the ungodly way of vacuuming, which would leave lines every which way. And, and by the way, if you're one of those people, we can pray for you and, and ask God to set you free from the evil spirit that you have within you. But, um, you know, furthermore, when you're vacuuming your house to do it the right way, you also need to vacuum yourself out of the room so there are no footprints. Is that right, ladies? Uh, you know, do, do I hear an amen from the ladies? Do I hear glory? Anybody want to wave a white hanky? <laughs> In fact, if you want to get my wife stirred up, don't vacuum yourself out of the room. Leave footprints on the freshly vacuumed carpet. <laughs> you know, I, I have a list of banned things that I cannot wear in the house. And one of those is a pair of shoes that I love, but they leave tread marks on the carpet. And so my wife has essentially banned them from my wardrobe. And, and they're awesome shoes. And that's probably more information that I should have shared. But, but, but anyway, the funny thing about vacuuming is if, 
is that sometimes you will come across a little piece of lint or fuzz or thread that you will vacuum over and it doesn't come up. You, you know what I'm talking about? And you vacuum it again and, and then you attack it from another angle, messing up your nice lines there. Uh, and, and, you know, when it won't come up, what do you do? You, you bend over, you pick it up, and what do you do? You roll it up, right? And then what do you do? You throw it back down. Don't you? Yeah, that's right. That's what you do. That's what I do. And, uh, and, and then you try it again. And sometimes you think, oh, man, after all of that, it still won't come up. And so finally you may pick it up and just put it in your pocket or whatever in the trash. Now, I, I know that's a really dumb illustration, but that little piece of lint reminds me of the baggage that sometimes we carry around. It's, it's baggage that will not go away. And, and we attack it and we try to suck it up into life's vacuum sweeper. But just like that little piece of lint, it hangs on for dear life. And so for many of us, those things, even though they're not true, even though they are lies from Satan, we have come almost to accept them as truth within our own lives. We've come to believe them. Maybe the lies that dominate your thinking are related to your abilities and you feel you're just not smart enough or good enough or talented enough to be used by God. If, if that's what you're thinking, that is a lie. Maybe it has to do with your appearance. You know, I know some beautiful women who in their minds feel they are overweight and ugly. But that is a lie. They're amazingly beautiful and talented, but Satan has caused them to believe a lie. I know some talented men that feel insignificant and incapable of leading a small group or making a difference in the community. I know some people who are addicted to substances or chemicals or, or have an eating disorder. And they say, you know, I just can't quit. I, I guess that's who I am, who I always will be. I will die an addict. And I know some people who struggle financially and they think, well, that's just the way it will always be. Whatever it is, I, I, I would challenge you to ask God to renew your mind with truth. And in fact, let the power of this verse speak to you in Ephesians 4. It says, throw off your evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through. Full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. Did you catch that? Throw off, throw off, which is rotten through and through. So the first step is to pray, God, renew my mind with truth. Help me to quit believing Satan's lies. Here's the second prayer. God, restore what is lost. I think many of you can relate to the pain in Psalm 21 or 7120 where it says, you've allowed me to suffer much hardship. And some of you would probably say, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. But listen, but you will restore me to life again. <laughs> Let me back up. Jab your neighbor, make sure they're listening. But you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. God specializes in restoring that which has been lost and broken. You know, it's a little bit like this at our home. We don't have cable or dish, and if you do, that's great. But we do have an antenna, so we get, what, seven or eight channels. And, and the, even though it's changed over the years, yet over the past several years, we've watched a lot of programs like Cat in the Hat, and Faith loves that, so, that the program. And, 
and wild crafts, and I love that one. Uh, but it seems like our grandson always gets his way when it comes to screen time. But on those rare occasions when I get to watch TV, I can promise you, I never watch it without the remote control in my hand, or at least with it close by. And ladies, I'm sorry, you just don't understand this about guys. You never will. You're not capable of understanding, but it's a proven scientific fact that for men, the rewards of watching television are greatly enhanced when there's a remote in our hand. Amen. And my eight-year-old grandson has already learned the concept. I know it's just in our DNA. It's in our genes. It's just there. But, but, but if something happens and we lose the remote control, as we did not too long ago, I literally turned the house upside down to find it. I took chairs apart. I found everything except for the remote. It was worse than losing my pocket knife, which nearly takes me over the edge. Well, listen to me. God's heart is so much more aggressive than I was when it comes to restoring what is lost. And Luke 15 gives us three stories that paint a picture of God's heart when it comes to that which is lost. You know these stories well. The first story Jesus told was about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and, and talked about one wandering away and... The shepherd would be willing to leave the 99 to go search for that one sheep. And that seems crazy to us, leaving 99 found sheep for one silly lost sheep. But that's God's heart. And then secondly, Jesus told about a woman who had 10 coins. And, and if she lost one of them, she would tear her house apart to find the one that was lost. And then most importantly, kind of closes with this big story Jesus told about a father who had two sons. And when one son ran off, that father would spend day after day, week after week, perhaps month after month on the edge of town, looking, hoping, praying that that son that was lost would come home. And when that son was found... Or when the coin was found, or when the sheep was found, they would throw such big parties getting across the truth that God cares for that which is lost. And so what you've lost matters to God. God wants to restore to you what you have lost. Maybe, this is kind of, novel idea but maybe god wants to restore within you a good attitude you lost it when someone did you dirty and so today you find yourself skeptical cynical negative a complainer cranky grouchy and you need a good attitude restored to you maybe god wants to restore to you a heart that is pliable you let it become hard. You, you put up walls to protect yourself from disappointments. Maybe God wants to restore hope to you and you, you lost that hope and you feel that nothing will ever change in your life. Maybe God wants to restore the intimacy in your relationship with Him. You, you've grown lukewarm and you've lost that. And you don't know what to do, but you've lost it. And God, I believe, would be pleased to restore that relationship you maybe wants to restore a friend or a family relationship you lost that some years ago when when there was a conflict and 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 you haven't spoken with that person or if you have it's just with you can hardly stand to do so so what is it that god wants to restore in your life and and as you identify it, let Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17 speak to you. It says, I love this verse, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. 
declares the Lord. I love that. You know, we talk about, you know, God being our healer, and he is. And I think sometimes we talk about this verse just physical, but it says heal your wounds. Those times that you were wounded by a friend or by family. I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. God specializes in restoring that which has been lost. Let me set up our last prayer with a story that really happened a few years ago. And you car dealers would probably enjoy this story. A lady on the West Coast listed a Mercedes G-Wagon for sale. I don't even know what that is. I don't know a lot about high-end cars like that. So I did a little bit of research and learned that that particular car would be worth well over $100,000. I mean, this car was beauty. It was black on black, low miles, fully loaded, every option, everything possible. And this lady listed the car for sale in the newspaper for, believe it or not, 50 bucks. Well, you, you can imagine the stir when the morning newspaper came out and her phone was ringing off the wall. And one guy said, now, is this really for sale? And she said, yeah, it's for sale. He said, $50. And she said, yeah. And said, can I come and see it now? And she said, yeah. And so he flew over to the house, you know, thinking that there was a catch to it. But as he was looking at the car, he realized that it was everything advertised and more. It was amazing. And, and he was like, all you want is $50? And she said, yes, sir, 50 bucks. He said, oh, okay, I, I won't even try to get you to come down any. Uh, he said, I'll give you full price for it. Uh, and I'll pay cash. So he pulled out of his wallet a, a $50 bill and gave it to her. And, and she signed the title over to him. And he was ready to go. And he said, ma'am, now that we've completed this transaction, do you mind telling me why you're selling this incredible car to me for such a cheap price? And she said, here's the deal. It's my husband's car, and he left me for a younger woman. He's in some other country playing around with this girl, and he told me I could keep everything that we had except for the car. He said, sell it and send him whatever I got for it. Mm -hmm. And that right there leads us to our third prayer, which is this. God, help me release my offender. The truth is that so many people today are carrying around the baggage of bitterness and unforgiveness. They can't let go of the resentment they have towards someone that hurt them. The verse of the scripture has spoken to me so many times. I think you'll recognize this verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, man. I've got to make allowance for your faults. You've got to do the same for me. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And a lot of people, when they're hurt, they say, well, you know, you hurt me, you wounded me, you were unfair to me, so therefore this gives me the right to hurt you back and, and I can gossip about you, you know, as long as I say, bless your heart. 
You know, I can spread rumors about you. I can be bitter about you. And if you ever get hurt, I can rejoice that you're getting what you had coming to you. Let me just say it this way. Just because someone has sinned against you doesn't justify your sinful behavior back to them. I want that. Could you just let that settle in? Just because someone has sinned against you, you know, they will respond to God someday for that sin. But just because someone has sinned against you doesn't give you the right to hold a grudge against them. You need to let it go. You know what? I've realized that some people look for ways to be offended. And I think of one couple, and you'll be thankful I'm not going to identify them this morning. They're actually not in this service anyway, but I know that every few months they will be upset about something. That's just the way they operate. And the result is that they're continually miserable, feeling like they're always the victims. We need to let go of those hurts and offenses. In my position as a pastor, I I know that I continually fall short of many of your expectations. I know that. And I'm not blind to the fact that I get a whole lot of criticism coming my way. And, and some of it's undeserved. I, I, I honestly believe that some of it's undeserved. But, but can I tell you something? Some of it is deserved. I, sometimes I deserve your criticism because I'm very flawed. I, I, I'm sometimes an idiot. I'll just go ahead and put it out. And, and Dick, you don't have to say amen here. And, and so I get people that criticize me some of it's deserved some of it's undeserved but but the only way that i've been able to survive this thing called ministry and the fact that i live in a fishbowl is to lay down those hurts i've learned that physically and emotionally and spiritually i cannot carry long term all the baggage that comes my way when I know that I've messed up, which is quite frequent, I, I have to lay down those regrets. And, and it's hard sometimes knowing that I'm the problem. You know, I messed up. Those regrets sometimes about get me, but I've got to lay them down. And then when people shoot at me and criticize me and perhaps I don't deserve it, you know, they don't know my motives for doing something. Sure, it hurts, but, but I've learned I cannot hold on to the hurts. I have to lay it down. And really, when I think about the, the tiny, tiny things that I've gone through versus what they did to Jesus and how they nailed him to the cross and, and how he said, Father, forgive them. It makes me realize that the little bit of criticism, the little bit of discomfort that I've gone through, it's pretty minor. Now, I'll be honest, it's not always easy to let it go, but I'm trying to learn. Here's what I'm trying to learn. Hurt people hurt people. And so when someone takes a swing at me, many times it's because they've been hurt badly by someone else. And so it's just a reaction. And, you know, kind of the same concept. You know, we have a bad day at work. What do we do? Go home and yell at our wife and yell at our kids and kick the cat that one's okay not really just kidding <clears throat> but but that's what we do whenever we've been hurt we pass it on to somebody else and so i'm trying to learn that that when somebody hurts me many times it's because someone hurt them and they're just lashing out so if you walked in with some baggage today which most of us did 
it's time to lay it down. It's time to pray three prayers. God, renew my mind with your truth. Help me to get rid of those lies that Satan has put in my heart and mind. And then God, would you restore that which has been lost? You know, I've lost years with a relative or a friend or... But God, would you just restore those things that have been lost? And then thirdly, let's pray, by your power, God, help me to release my offender. So today, as we wrap things up, would you want to just maybe admit it? Just bring it up to your mind. Bring it into your mind and into your heart. And as we pray our prayer, would you just release it? Let it go. Just let it go. Father, I I know that there's probably some justifying going on right now. That's the way we do things. And there's probably some that are saying, well, no, I'm not bitter. I'm not. They did me dirty. and, And we're trying to justify our actions, our attitude. But I pray, Father, that today there would be just that ability with your grace to let go the hurt. Lord, the offenses that have come our way, some of it maybe is deserved. We did something dumb and maybe it's undeserved. They didn't know our motives. People shot at us. They hurt us. But Father, I pray that we would be able to let go. I pray for those who were raised in a very legalistic atmosphere and they're still carrying some of those hurts from the past. Lord, I pray that they would let it go right now. That they would understand that life is too short to carry that bitterness because of a bad experience in church. And Lord, help them to understand that there will always be hypocrites. Christ had a hypocrite in His 12. Lord, I pray that we would not, we would not judge the whole church of Jesus Christ because of a few bad apples. Lord, I pray that for those also who have carried baggage because of a relationship, maybe a marriage, failed marriage, and Lord, because of some other things, God, I ask that right now we would be able to just release it, help us to let it go, and in the name of Jesus, that there would be something take place that, Lord, we can't do ourselves. We can't, we can't make it happen. But through your power, through your grace, we can release this. And Lord, we want to do so right now. Lord, I pray that every one of us here, those that may be listening on the radio, those that are watching the live stream, Father, whoever is carrying baggage, I pray that we would let it go right now, that we would just let it go in the name of Jesus. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.